Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and if you don't live in Los Angeles like me, then you might not realize we are deep in For Your Consideration season ahead of next month's Emmy Awards. We have actually had a bunch of this year's nominees as guests on this podcast, including Martin Short from Only Murders in the Building, Ray Seahorn from Better Call Saul, both Bill Hader and Henry Winkler from Barry, Natasha Rothwell from The White Lotus, and more. But since Emmy voters have just a few more days to cast their ballots, I thought now would be the perfect time to revisit an interview I did with the star of one of my favorite shows of the past year, Adam Scott. Adam is actually nominated for lead actor in a drama series for his remarkable performance in the Apple TV Plus show Severance. But as we discuss in this conversation, he was able to channel his history as an actor in workplace comedies like Party Down and Parks and Rec to bring some surprising warmth and humor to an otherwise dark and disturbing show. Here's an example of what I'm talking about from the first episode. In this clip, Adam's character Mark S. is welcoming a new employee to the severed floor of the mysterious Lumen Industries. Her name is Helly R., and she is played by the equally incredible Britt Lower, who, by the way, should have been nominated for an Emmy as well. I think I know where a disconnect is coming from. What? Well, there was a preamble, which I was supposed to read before the survey to lead into the questions, and but I unfortunately skipped that, went straight into the survey. Am I livestock? I'm sorry? Like... Did you grow me as food and that's why I have no memories? Do you think we grew a full human, gave you consciousness? I don't know. Did your nails? I don't know. I don't know you. No, you're not livestock. Good Lord. Then what's my name? Helly. Your name is Helly. Helly R. Please. So we don't get too spoilery about Severance in this episode, but if you haven't gotten a chance to see it yet, I highly recommend you check it out, especially before season two is set to premiere, hopefully early next year. We also, of course, talked a lot about Adam's comedy career, from his breakthrough role as Derek in Step Brothers to his long run on Parks and Rec as Ben Wyatt. So let's get to it. Here's me with Adam Scott. I'm very excited to have you on. I know, especially you, you must be busy. You're in the middle of filming uh, Party Down right now, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. We started last week. So we shot our first episode and then tomorrow we start episode number two. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely want to get to Severance because I'm very excited to talk to you about that. But before we get to that, um, just with Party Down, I mean, what has it been like to all of a sudden be back making the show 12 years after you ended? It's really weird in a in a really lovely way just being 
together again and the pink ties and <laughs> just because there's that, you know, just like any group of friends, there's that particular chemistry that switches on when a particular group of people are together. And this whole past week, we've all been kind of marveling at how long it's been, but then how it doesn't really feel like it's been that long when we are all together and laughing at something stupid that someone says or does. Uh, and, uh, and someone brought out a picture the other day of all of us when we got together after we had finished shooting the second season and, and we all look so young and <laughs> it's just been really strange, but the great thing, you know, we, we were shooting a scene on, on Saturday and I was looking at Jane and Megan and Martin and Ryan and Ken and, you know, just like in the scene, watching them all be hilarious. And I was, I just couldn't uh, stop. I, I just realized, was realizing how much I just missed them. But also I missed these characters and how great it is to watch these ridiculous, fun, sweet characters back uh, in action. And John and Baum hasn't missed a beat. And what he's writing for everyone is just so terrific and funny. And so, so far so good. It's been, it's been really, really, really fun. Yeah. I, I love the show so much, the original two oh, seasons. Thanks. And, um, you know, I don't know much about the, what this new season is about or what the premise is or anything, but I have to say it is kind of depressing to think that they are all still cater waiters over a decade later. <laughs> well, you know, you, you you know, I don't want to certainly don't want to uh, spoil anything, <laughs> but there's, you know, there's a, a really fun way of kind of uh, showing how the time has passed. And 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 also we have these new cast members who are. Yeah, they, I just saw the announcement come out. Jennifer Garner's a series regular in the new season. Jennifer is a series regular and Tyrell Jackson Williams and Zoe Chow. <laughs> are both uh, cool. new series regulars. And then James Marsden's doing a couple episodes. So um, we've just been, and there are more fun guest stars and stuff coming up. It's, it's been, it, it's, it's really, uh, really fun. Yeah. Really I, I was, I was bummed to hear that Lizzie Kaplan's not coming back, but uh, hopefully, um, you know, you guys will, will still yeah. make it great. Cause you guys had such great chemistry on the show. Yeah. We, we, we were all bummed, including Lizzie. I mean, it was all, you know, we were, it was kind of a, a, a blow for sure because she's incredible and and brings so much to the show and to the role of Casey. You know, of course we 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 were hoping as she was that that it could all be worked out. But it's just so it's so hard to nail everyone down for. And so it was like, well, do we uh, do we continue continue on? You know, it's like the stars aligned to get all of these people together and, uh, yeah, not sure it could happen so, again. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it'll happen again and, and Lizzie will be available. Who knows? Um, so speaking of spoilers, uh, severance is a very spoilery kind of show. Um, and so I right. want to figure out a way that we can talk about it, you know? Sure. Um, and so I think what we're going to do is, have you watched it? So I've have watched, watched I've watched the entire first season. Oh, you did. Oh, um, wow. Okay. I'm, Kind of obsessed. I hopefully this is not too embarrassing. I've I've now started watching it for the second time. 
Oh, cool. Uh, because I'm so it's glad. really fun to watch for the second time because you see all notice all these things that you didn't see the first time. So yeah. um, I think what we're going to do is put this out when people have at least gotten the chance to watch the first two um, so okay, that cool. we can talk That's about great. it and, and it's sure. not just us talking about something that nobody can see. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this... By the I, way, can I just say yeah. that I love this podcast? Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I listened to you have ter- great guests. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, I really, yeah. I, I've had a lot of your uh, your Parks and Rec folks on over the yeah. years, so I'm, oh, I'm totally. excited to have you on as well. Um, but yeah, this show Severance is I I didn't know much about it, you know, before I started watching it, um, and it kind of came out of nowhere. It's not. I don't think it's based on pre existing material, right? It's just is a totally you know original idea, and it's a very original idea. Um, can you talk about how? this came to you and, and what you sort of thought about the, the whole, the premise of it when, when you first got to read it? Yeah. Um, it was, we, we just figured it out the other day that it was it's like exactly five years ago is January, 2017. Cause I remembered exactly when it was, cause I was standing like knee deep in snow, uh, at up at Sundance when Ben called me and just sort of gave me the quick, you know, three sentence elevator pitch of the show, just kind of the big idea, the big hook of the show, the idea that um, it's a world where there's technology. So you can get something inserted in your brain where when you go to work, you have no idea who you are or what you do in the outside world and vice versa. When you're in the outside world, you leave work, you have no idea who you are there or what you did there. So you have these two separate Live, so you can completely focus on work and you can just enjoy your uh, personal life when you're not at work anymore. That's the, that's the, you know, that's the idea. That's the, the idea that whoever's peddling this technology says you can enjoy both and not have to worry about the other. Right. Um, and so it was just sort of, that was the, the, the idea that I heard then not having read a script or anything. And, uh, and I just couldn't stop thinking about this, this cool hooky science sci-fi idea, which is, it, 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 I just couldn't stop thinking about it and was hoping over the years that this would come to fruition. Cause you never, you never know what things are going to actually turn into shows and what things are just going to be cool ideas that don't go anywhere. And, um, and you know, it, we just sort of kept in touch over the next couple of years, Ben and I, and, and then it finally kind of came around and Dan Erickson, who, who created the show, this is all his world. He, um, he started writing and, and the, the Apple, uh, bought it from, from Red Hour, picked it up. And, and l- luckily I was able to, to hang on. Ben had called me back then because he was thinking of me for this role, but you never know what's going to happen. And, and so luckily Ben kept thinking of me and, and we just sort of uh, stayed in touch about it. And and eventually it it became a a show. And, and then when I finally read a script, which was not until like 2019, I believe 2018, 2019, I, all I read was the first one. And I, First of all, it was exactly the kind of show that that I, as an audience member, look for and want to watch. Um, but then also, it was 
a role like that I've been, I felt like, and it sounds corny, but it felt like I've been waiting my whole career for, you know, like I've been spending the past 20 some odd years earning this role. It was just such a cool part and, and such a cool show. So anyway, I was just hoping something wouldn't happen or <laughs> someone better or more famous would come along and, <laughs> and they would come to their senses. And, and, and so it, it, uh, it all ended up falling into place and working out and I got to do it. So that's sort of the journey it took. And then as Dan wrote more and more, I got to read the, the episodes and, and then talk to the two of them about the, the world and the company Lumen and everything, all the mythology and history behind all of it. And it's just sort of a fascinating world. Yeah. I mean, you, you talked about not being able to stop thinking about the, the idea, just hearing it. And I think it is such a thought provoking show, like watching it, you just can't stop thinking about and wondering, you know, asking different questions about it. Um, Is it, was it as much of a sort of mind fuck for you to read it and then, and then act it as it is for, for us to watch it? Yes. Uh, because we shot the whole show at once, right? Like a big nine hour movie. So we were jumping all over the place. Uh, also Aoife McCardle directed three of the episodes as well. And so we were jumping around, not just any and Audi, but also episode to episode over the nine, 10 months that we were shooting the show. It, it was a mind fuck in that we just had to constantly constantly be keeping track of sort of the math problem of um, the Audi mark, the any mark, where each of them are in the story, but then just sort of on a base level, what's the difference between the two and why is that a difference? And, and, and all of that, it was just a constant, but then also the kind of overall story and, um, and uh and patricia's character all of it is sort of this puzzle and this as yeah, you put it, it's mind a, fuck. <laughs> yeah it's this incredibly um interesting acting challenge for you and for you know some of the other actors on the show playing this someone playing one person but two versions of the same person in a way um how did you think about their differences and what your the your uh any mark and your audi mark how they're different how you wanted to portray that, um, in, in what you were doing. Yeah, it was really, uh, fun. I mean, it was really, it was hard. It was challenging. <laughs> it was all of those things. Um, you know, we, we kind of, it, it was important to Ben and I and, and Dan, the Erickson, the creator that it be one guy. It's not like, you know, the kind of knee jerk reaction for an actor is like, Oh, cool. I can, yeah, really you know, one of them yeah. will have a, a mustache and a limp <laughs> or something, you yeah. know? Um, but this is definitely one guy and it's just different parts of, of the same guy, almost like different halves, you know? Um, so it was important that it feel that way. Um, uh, and, and, and so it kind of, it, it became like, like I said, like a, like sort of a math problem, like an addition and subtraction, like the Audi mark has 40 some odd years of, of life experience of sorrow and joy. And, you know, all the, all the things that go into like a full life. And he's in this place where he's grieving his, his wife and he's sort of stuck. He doesn't, he hasn't moved on. He doesn't want to move on. That's why he's doing this. And then the any mark is 
for all intents and purposes, like two years old. Um, <laughs> but he also carries, just kind of physiologically carries all of this, these feelings. They're still in there when he wakes up in the any world. He just doesn't know what, how to locate or name what those feelings are. So that stuff is present, but it's not really, it's not really his in a way. So, um, and, and, and he's in a similar sort of stasis in that he's in this place. He's been there a couple of years and he's not interested in questioning what's going on and what he's doing, any of that. And so both for the Audi and any, it takes these other people kind of coming in and upsetting each apple cart. And, and so as far as the kind of the practically playing the two different sides of the character, it's how to kind of make it personal for me. I just sort of, you know, sort of started thinking about the Audi being more of the stuff, just me, the things I hate about myself and started (laughs) trying to think about the innie as the things that may be more my attributes. Right. And like the, the out it's, it's like Audi's like not always comfortable socially. I have bad posture, all of that stuff. And because he's in this place in his life where he just wants to check out for 10 hours a day. And then any is sort of more enthusiastic about what may be going on and, and, and what he may be able to accomplish in this world, even though he's stopping himself curiosity wise from thinking through uh, what he's actually doing. He just wants to sort of please this authority figure who's in front of him. Yeah. It, it also, for me, raised so many questions about nature versus nurture and sort of who we would be with no culture, with no memories, with nothing. You know, would you be the same person? And, you know, I think the answer is no, that you, you know, so much of what we, our life experience, um, our conscious life experience uh, impacts who we are. That's right. And I think, uh, I think also when it's a situation like it is in the show, you could even start wondering why, if you're on the inside world, you could start wondering like why you would do this to me, why you would create me just to keep me down here, you know? So I'll never leave here. And you'll leave at five. Well, actually they stagger our exit, so 515. But it won't feel like it, not to this version of you anyway. Do you have a family? You'll never know. And I have no choice. Well, every time you find yourself here, it's because you chose to come back. I imagine, you know, beyond the beyond the idea and the premise that working with Ben Stiller as a director was part of the appeal. Um, you'd previously worked with him on uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty, right? Yeah. Yeah. What is he like as a as a director? It's hard to go back to other directors after you get to work with someone you connect with and feel safe with and trust as much as I feel all of those things about Ben. I feel like, especially with a a role like this, I really had to just let go and sort of put all of my trust in him because I couldn't monitor myself. I just sort of didn't have the bandwidth to keep an eye on what I, what I was doing. And so, cause usually 
I can sort of have a a third eye on what I'm doing so I can sort of direct myself a little bit and know if something's working or not. You just kind of have that instinct. And I certainly still had that, but I also was placing all of my trust in him because I trust his taste more than anyone's. Uh, I think he's one of our great filmmakers. I mean, if you look at what he's made, everything from, Reality Bites to Cable Guide or Tropic Thunder to Danamora. It's unbelievable. Um, it really is. And I, I think Danamora is one of the great American works of the past. Yeah, that was his, that was his previous I mean, kind of his first his first real foray into drama, too, was Escape at Danamora, the, you know, the previous show that he did. And this show is is very dramatic in a lot of ways, very dark in a lot of ways, also has a lot of humor sprinkled throughout, which I think I'm noticing even more on the second watch. I, I did wonder if there's any concern that people will think this is a comedy because it's you and Ben Stiller. And now you, you know, the two of you are both so well known for comedy at this point. I don't know. I think that's something that Ben's interested in is the kind of idea of this surface of a workplace comedy, you know, the, the, especially when the show starts, it kind of first go into Lumen. It feels like that. It's like a quick, fun, sort of fizzy office comedy. And then there's just something lurking underneath, something a little more sinister. You start to, just can't quite pinpoint it, but there's something going on here. And I think uh, maintaining both of those things is a really fun thing that he was interested in uh, in exploring yeah, and I, maybe subverting a little bit. Yeah, I wonder if that's, you know, part of why he thought of you for the role, because you are someone who has this, you, you have, you know, roots in drama in a way, but then are very well known for office comedies. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, it could be. Coming up, we look back at the role that set Adam's career off in an entirely new and unexpected direction. And he reveals the moment he finally felt like he knew what he was doing, improvising with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our conversations with other Parks and Recreation cast members like Nick Offerman, Patton Oswald, and Ben Schwartz. 
and everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Adam Scott. I do kind of want to go back and, and talk about some of the other you know stuff from your career and and with a with a comedy focus because this is a podcast that typically focuses on comedy. You know how how did you end up transitioning to comedy after you know so many years of, of dramatic work? Because that it really you you know I think the earlier part of your career you were doing a lot of drama and then you became very well known for comedy more recently. Was that intentional? Was it by accident? How did you kind of think about that at the time? It was by accident at at first because yeah like you said I'd just been doing like serious stuff and I always sort of thought that's what I would be what if I finally kind of got some traction that's where it would be because I always sort of saw myself as a as a (laughs) serious actor and was on this HBO show tell me you love me which was like 15 years ago that was very dark and serious. There were no, there weren't weren't a lot of laughs on that one. No. Um, and so that was sort of the thing I had, I was doing when, uh, the audition for stepbrothers came up and, um, and it was just sort of a fluke because someone else had the role in stepbrothers and then had to pull out for one reason or another, um, I think it was a scheduling thing. And so they had to cast the role quickly. And I, so I sort of went in there without thinking about it too much and just leaned into this ridiculous character. And, and I, I love, um, assholes. I think assholes are really <laughs> funny and I love watching them and, and, uh, and playing them. And so I just went in and sort of did this for Adam McKay and Will Ferrell and, sort of fun. And then I got the role and it was, it was just a total fluke. So that's sort of where it, where it started. And then doing that movie was, you know, it was an adventure. I, I didn't know what I was doing. And, uh, it was like, you know, as far as improvising goes, it was like learning how to throw the javelin at the Olympics, like with the audience and all the cameras and all of that. Um, and I think by the end, I was sort of getting the hang of it, like, oh, okay. And and it was really fun and, and exhilarating, you know, to just sort of watch, you know, these guys make this giant movie and sort of just be shooting from the hip. I had always seen movies, particularly big movies, as this very careful process, like, okay, we've got all of this expensive equipment and these beautiful sets. We need to treat this with the utmost um, delicacy and respect. And these guys were just like, all right, we've got all these expensive cameras and beautiful sets. Let's fuck around and see what <laughs> hilarious stuff we can come up with. Yeah, that's There's definitely like a privilege to get to, to do it. that. <laughs> yeah, and I just loved it and and uh, and had a, a lot of fun. And so by the end of that, like, I don't know, four months or whatever, I felt like I'd finally sort of started getting the hang of it and, and, uh, and didn't want to stop. It was just sort of this really fun, you know, going to work and it just being a blast all day was not something I had experienced like doing more sort of dramatic stuff, you know? 
Was there a moment during the making of Step Brothers that you felt it kind of click in in terms of what you were doing and that you felt like you were succeeding at the at the improv part of it? Yeah, I think it was. I, I remember one scene where it wasn't and it was close to the beginning of the of the shoot. And it was the, the treehouse scene where I like pop up and and talk to the guys and then they punch me and I fall out. And it was right when we had started shooting and I didn't know what I was doing and I was really intimidated and freaked out. And, and I had tried to come up with a bunch of jokes ahead of time and wrote them down. And, and that's not and how it was it works. just, <laughs> no. And, and, but I didn't really know. And, and the scene in the movies, great. Cause they, they you know, they, they cut it together. Great. And everything. But then as we went on, I was so, sort of little by little sort of letting go. And I stopped gripping the, back quite so tight and just sort of watching these guys and how they how they did it and I mean if you're going to watch anyone those are those are the guys um and so by the end I remember there was a scene I think it was at the dinner table and uh John Riley was said something and then I kind of set him up for something else and we just started kind of going back and forth and it was like okay this is really fun. And once you kind of find that groove with another person, it's, there's nothing more fun or exciting than, than that. And you can really dig out some great, funny, funny stuff from that. Robert, have you ever been down to the southern part of the Gulf on the Bonita run? Always wanted to. It, I hear it's amazing. It is. It's gorgeous. <laughs> Are Bonita fish big? Uh, what? Dale, don't interrupt the man when he's telling a story. No, 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 no. it's fine, Robert. Um, I was asking about the story. What's fine. this guy's deal? I don't know, son. It's okay. Well, Dale, they are what's called a trophy fish. So, yeah, they're pretty big. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, anyway. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Now I forget where my story was going. Ah, damn it, Dale. No. Robert. Look. What? I asked him. Okay. No, he can join in, Robert. It's really okay. Well, I asked him twice not to, not to interrupt. Listen, gang, don't be mad at Dale for ruining the story and possibly the evening. It's, it's totally fine. I have a lot more stories. Derek, that you do. Yeah. <laughs> that you do. Guilty as charged <laughs> with the stories. Oh, God, you're impressive. There was also the, the singing in the car, which wasn't really much improvisation, but I was also kind of like, oh, this is going to be really weird and and funny. And if it works, this will be like a really, really great scene. Um, so there were those kind of points, both kind of towards the end of the of the movie where I was sort of like, OK, I think um, I could maybe um, find my way to to getting the hang of this. Yeah, I love that it's, you know, you and Catherine Hahn was really, the two of you really broke through in that movie, I mean, and then have gone on to do so many incredible things. But that was really, I think, the beginning that of first time that a lot of people had seen both of you, probably, in the yeah, comedy world. I, yeah, I think both, I remember the first day we kind of looked at each other and we're like, wow, we're here and uh, this is this is hallowed ground that we're able to uh, to, to both be here. And she really excelled from day one. Catherine was knew exactly what she was doing and was brilliant from day. She didn't have this like steep learning <laughs> curve like I did. She was she was on it. She was yeah. 
100%. So then once you were in that movie, I mean, what what did that open up for you in terms of what opportunities or what you wanted to do or, or the this new direction that your career went in? You know, it's kind of a slow burn. It was kind of like, you know, Step Brothers is this funny movie because when it came out, it was a successful movie. But as far as Step Brothers and culture, as we know it today, it took a couple years of it marinating and getting on cable or DVD or whatever, and people really watching it over and over again. Um, yeah. Now it's con- like widely considered one of the funniest movies ever made, I would say. <laughs> yeah. And at the time, like the, the, the reviews weren't. Did not, uh, did not say that. No, uh, not really. Um, uh, but I re- you know, it came out and it was later that it was like a couple months after Step Brothers came out that, um, the guys were like, hey, um, we're, this network stars picked up Party Down because we had made a homemade pilot a couple of years before that. And then so it was a couple months after Step Brothers came out that Party Down got picked up and we, we could we could actually make that show. Um, I think also the guest spot on Eastbound and Down came soon after Step Brothers was a thing. Um so it was sort of, it ended up being more of a trifecta of stepbrothers, party down and, and parks that sort of over a period of a year and a half, two years where all of that stuff sort of came around the same time. And it's, it, it, it sort of all contributed to a, a career actually solidifying and, and that being tilted towards comedy. Yeah, I mean, besides, you know, you've worked with all these incredible people, you know, in terms of creators, you know, Ben Stiller, uh, Adam McKay, and then, you know, Mike Schur is another one who, you know, you've had a long and great relationship with. What was, I know you originally auditioned for The Office, right? And then ended up, um, and then also originally auditioned for the first season of Parks and Rec, but it wasn't until the second season that you got on. So what was the whole story there? Because that that was a, a long process with some disappointment along the way. So, I mean, what, what was that like for you to kind of keep going back to that, um, that world until you finally, you know, made your way onto the show? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I, the office, I was already a fan of the, of the Ricky Gervais version. And, and so I went and auditioned for that. And you know what? I probably leaned too hard into my idea of what, the British one was, but I, I think I had a couple auditions for it, you know, um, and was certainly disappointed, but, but I think Krasinski's way better choice, obviously for, for that role. I can't even imagine anyone else doing that. Um, and as far as parks go, I, I ended up on the show when I should have been on the show. I think if I didn't end up getting it Originally, if I like, I mean, I just went and auditioned for it and I don't think there were even roles yet. I think it was, um, it's not like I was auditioning for a specific thing and, and I don't think I was quite ready. And I think after, um, doing party down for a while, I kind of relaxed and, and, uh, and I needed to, to do that. I'm certainly not a person that believes in like things happen when they should, or things happen for a reason or anything like that. But I know that the way it ended up playing out was the right way for me. And I'm glad that by the time I ended up on parks that I, I really felt 
Like I, I could do it and I was, I was ready and I knew how to do it. What was it like to then come into that show that already existed and these characters who, you know, maybe you'd already been watching um, yeah. and then all of a sudden be, be, in, be in that world? Yeah, I, I was a big fan of the show uh, going in. Um, I knew Nick because Megan was on, Megan Mullally was on Party Down and so Nick was, would be around and we had become kind of friends through, through Megan. And, um, but I didn't really know, I knew, I guess I knew some of them from just around, but not, not well or anything. And, and, uh, you know, walking into a, a show that's like, a uh, up and running and a, and a, and a kind of a, a tight machine already uh, jumping onto a moving train like that can be a little nerve wracking. And I was, you know, a little nervous at first, but, um, they were all super welcoming and it's a very warm atmosphere there, fun place to, to work and just kind of immediately felt at home. And really from, from minute one, I just didn't want it to stop. I just loved going there. And I, the only other show I had really been on as a series regular was, was party down at that point. So I was, you know, 15 or so years into a quote unquote career. And I was just sort of, I, 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 I just knew I would never take any of this for granted. I just loved having a regular job to go to. It, it just felt great. Um, and it happened to be a great show with incredible people. So there isn't a moment in the five years I was there that I, uh, you know, took it for granted or got, sick of it or any of that stuff. It was just, and I don't think anyone else either. We were all really happy to be there. Yeah. One of the more surreal moments I imagine was when you uh, shared the screen with Joe Biden, uh, who was then vice president. How did you do this? Called in a few favors. Excuse me. A few hundred favors. Mr. Vice President, Ben Wyatt from Congressman Murray's office. Hey, Ben, Dave told me you were going to be coming by and you must be Leslie No. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome. <laughs> You're, my, my, my name just came out of your mouth. Well, yeah, it did. <laughs> well, this isn't happening. This, this isn't real. What was he like as a, as a scene partner and, and uh, acting with him? He was really cool and, and, and kind of off camera. He was incredibly charming. And you immediately see, like when, when, when you know, before we even started shooting, he kind of walked in the room, and just immediately connected with every single person. It's like, oh, yeah, this is a professional <laughs> politician who makes everyone feel great. And, you know, Aubrey was there and they're both uh, uh, Delaware. Uh, they, but, you know, Aubrey is a Delaware native and he started telling a story. He already knew um, who Aubrey was and then she's <laughs> from there. I think they had met once before and started telling a a Delaware story that Aubrey had something to do. You know, he was just great. And um, he was g- really good in the scene. It was uh, very weird because sometimes those appearances with politicians or sports stars and stuff, sometimes they're a little yeah, you stiff had a lot or whatever. Of, a lot of politicians on the show over the years. I think yeah, John, they all John ended McCain up, and yeah. Yeah, a bunch of them ended up doing it. Um, he was really cool. And then we went back and shot a scene actually in the vice presidential mansion, like a year or two later. And, uh, he and Dr. Biden were 
so cool and and so nice and personable. Uh, I can't say that I that I know them at all, but I, <laughs> I uh, from what I uh, was able to discern, they're they're really good people. That uh, it's a welcome change from where we were. Yeah. Um- you know, you, you got, uh, pretty well known at, from parks for playing a nice guy. You mentioned that you liked playing assholes a lot and then you kind of got a chance to do it again, uh, on the good place. Um, oh, yeah, you know, going, yeah, yeah, going sure. back to your, your asshole, uh, character. Was that, was that fun to kind of stop playing the nice guy for a while after, <laughs> after many years of that? Yeah. Especially, uh, for Mike and, and there's some, some of the same writers as on parks and getting to have them, you know, kind of, I know Mike loves stepbrothers and loves, loves it when I uh, do and say things that are, that are shitty. Um, like as a character, he thinks it's funny when, when, you know, he thinks assholes are funny, <laughs> I guess too. Um, yeah, it was a blast. And, and that show is really, uh, really great. And, uh, and I think I worked on it before it had ever aired actually in that first season. And, and so just kind of getting to see this whole world and, and, uh, and, uh, hear about the, you know, everything that he had kind of set up and this whole world he had created was fascinating. I think it's a, it's a really special show. Oh, hello. Hi. You look like a piece of crap. Are, are you Eleanor? Dude, you're like a legend in the bad place. You're, check this out. Huh? Pretty great, right? Trevor, do you know what caused this mistake? Because I cannot figure it out. No, we're stumped. But uh, don't sweat it, champ. She's definitely one of ours. So we'll just roll on out, and you can get back to uh, putting rainbows up your butt or whatever you do here, okay? Let's hit it, sweetheart. We got a long ride. What? Right now? Trevor, for decency's sake, let her have some goodbyes. Ugh. God, good people are the worst. Okay, uh... 30 minutes. We got to get back for The Bachelor. I'm going to be pissed if I miss the rose ceremony. So what I want to do now is our uh, our segment called The First Laugh. So I'm going to run through some uh, some firsts in your life and career uh, related to comedy. Um, and we, hopefully we can talk about them. Sure. So going all the way back, do you remember the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid or one of the first? That's a really good question. You know, I I would imagine it's Steve Martin. Uh, either on SNL or his records. Cause I, you know, my brother and I had his records and would play them and, you know, listen to them all the time. Um, and also the pictures on the records, the best fishes, uh, kind of eight by 10 that came with either wild and crazy guy or, or let's get small. I don't remember which, which one, but it was all Steve Martin was what we were all about, uh, back then. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, as we said, you know, you came to comedy later in your career. Um, but do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny, um, that you were able to make other people laugh? Yes. I, I read by, by the way, I tried for a while in my career. I was, I, I remember telling my agent once, like, you know, my friend's think I'm, they tell me I'm, I'm funny. <laughs> yeah. I he's swear. like, no, yeah. no, 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 you're, you're not. It's okay. Cause I was trying to get an audition for a multicam like comedy that Tori spelling, a uh, pilot that Tori and, 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 cause I needed a, 
a job so badly and I just wanted the audition. I could not even get in the room. And he's like, look, you're not funny. It's okay. Like, you know, (laughs) so anyway, I had a subscription to Mad Magazine and collected back issues. I was really into it as a kid. And and I remember I I read something in either a Don Martin uh, comic or, 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 uh, or, one of the other ones. And so I kind of, I always kept these jokes I read in Mad Magazine sort of stocked and tried to deploy them at the right time as a little kid. And um, I remember once we were having a, like a big family dinner and there were friends over, like a bunch of people over for a barbecue or something. And my mom said, uh, she said, uh, she said, uh, she was like, telling a story for, for one reason or another, she said the line, waiter, there's a fly in my soup, which is sort of the old tropey thing that, that, uh, people, I don't remember why she was saying it. And I was like probably five, six years old said, waiter, there's a fly in my soup. And I just sort of blurted out, don't worry, ma'am, the spider in your salad will eat it. Cause that was something I had read in mad magazine. And I just remember the room kind of going silent and then <laughs> bursting into this like laughter that this little kid said something like that and uh just felt amazing just felt great anyway that's the first thing i remember as being like getting a laugh or whatever so anyway i have to ask about what is now your very first imdb credit do you know what it is the uh the uh, 21 no it's being an extra in the uh rem's drive video Oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right. So I know you're a, you're a huge <laughs> REM fan. So, uh, what was that's right? How did you end up being an extra in an REM video? Well, um, it was the summer between years at school, so it was the summer of '92, and uh, and there was some sort of radio contest that a friend of mine heard about that if you call in at a certain time, you can win a role in an REM video. Little did we know it was just you can drive to Los Angeles and be an extra for three nights. And um, but I, either way, it sounded great to us as nineteen-year-olds who had nothing to nothing else to do. So we called in, and all of us signed up for it and jumped in a car. We were up in Santa Cruz, California. Sorry, up in Northern California, and all jumped in a car and drove down to Los Angeles. And it was at. They shot it out in the middle of a, um, I forget the name of the dam. There's a dam up in the valley where there's just this big kind of concrete volume out in the middle of uh, this park. And so two or 300 people just kind of grouped together and Michael Stipe would fall off of a ladder into the crowd and we would all just carry him. He would just crowd surf and they had cameras pointed down at us and did it for two 12 hour nights. Oh my God. Um, but as a 19 year old who loves that band, it was like going to Disneyland as a little kid and seeing Mickey mouse and goofy and whatever, <laughs> and getting to like yell out things to them. And they were nice enough, you know, they were, you know, but now looking back, they're like 32 year old guys <laughs> <laughs> that we saw as like these elder statesmen or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Ridiculous. But it was it was so so fun uh, getting to do that. 
I've really enjoyed all of your podcasts um, about REM oh, and, and you uh, too and everything with um, Scott Ackerman. Um, but I wanted to ask if there's a memory that stands out from the many um, podcasts that you did on comedy bang bang with um, Chelsea Peretti and Harris Whittles oh, um, yeah. for that fans will know as the farts and procreation series, um, yeah. which were some of the funniest episodes of that podcast and just really, really fun to listen to and really felt like we were getting to, you know, be in the room with with you guys um so what do you what stands out from from doing those so fun we did two of them i think did we do three maybe i don't know maybe three i i, I don't remember but they were they were great one of them's on vinyl i think now <laughs> oh really uh, maybe it's I did not the first know that. one that's very cool it's funny be yeah i i it was just an episode of comedy bang bang that harris and chelsea and i were just gonna go do together and I think we all worked to that day on parks and just went down to Scott's studio and, and, you know, with no idea what we were going to do, of course, which is very apparent when you listen to it, but, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know, it was this special combination of people and Chelsea has this re she's one of the funniest people and she has this really fun thing that she does where she's, Con contributing and participating in the stupidness, but at the same time telling you how stupid and ridiculous you are for the things you say. That's a, that's a great way of describing things it. things are really funny. And then there's Harris, who's in kind of providing the basis for all of the stupidity. He's kind of like putting the the canvas on the floor is getting really pretentious. He's the one that's sort of providing the, the, the canvas or whatever it is and sort of inventing in the, the, the thing that we're all kind of playing with. And there was also a really special chemistry between Chelsea and, and Harris that was really fun because Harris is also like coming up with all this ridiculous stuff and wearing it like a badge of honor and also simultaneously doing like two or three really, really funny things, two or three really great balls he's keeping in the air. Um, and I was just sort of there. I don't really actually remember what we did and said, I just remember it kind of going on and on to where we finished that night and we're just like wondering if we should even put it if Scott should even put it out because it was just so dumb. Well, I'm glad that he did. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. It's a great way to remember Harris Whittles, you know, with, as well. I haven't listened to it at, since then. I, I feel like it would be really hard to listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. But if for anyone who hasn't heard it, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, do you remember uh, a first time meeting a comedy hero of yours, someone who you who you really looked up to, or any kind of hero in the in the show business world, and what and what you uh, what that was like for you? I met Steve Martin once. I'm trying to think of other comedy heroes too. I mean, he's sort of the you know for a kid who grew up at the time that I grew up in the eighties. It was like you know he's he's the guy. Um, I met him. I, I went over to his house to pitch him a, an idea that I had for a movie. That sounds terrifying. And it was, it was, <laughs> it was terrifying. I shouldn't have done it. It was, it was, 
but um but like if some if someone says hey you know presents the opportunity are you gonna not do that no. yeah you, you gotta um, you gotta go but you gotta go and i i don't even remember if i felt super solid about this idea or if i just <laughs> wanted to go and see what his house was like and get to meet him and uh and it was a totally fine meeting and he was cool and and funny and and uh and and uh i remember yeah it, uh but you know it didn't go anywhere nor did it deserve to but it was this really pleasant pleasant meeting um i i remember when i came in he was like hey, do you want a glass of water or something and i was like uh yeah sure like not knowing what i should say because i did not need a glass of water but he's like oh, okay and he runs into the kitchen and comes back and he hands me a glass of water that's like half full and he just said, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't have time to, f- to fill this. <laughs> and <laughs> he's just doing was, bits. I, I just thought that was great. I just <laughs> loved every second of that uh, and of, of getting to uh, sit there with him. It was great. Yeah. You also had your, your very public uh, meeting with uh, a childhood hero, Mark Hamill, on, uh, on TV. That's right. That was a genuine surprise. I, I people have asked me. I was if that wondering, was planned. yeah, because it looks yeah. like yeah, it could be something that was planned or that you knew was coming. But you, if if it, if you did know, it was very good acting that you did. Uh, being surprised. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird, and and because I remember they were like, "So you want to talk about Star Wars on the show tonight?" And I was like, "You know what? Not really. I feel like everyone talks about like Star Wars. Aren't we? Ever, aren't we sick of Star Wars? Like, I, I don't want to talk about Star like." I've I feel like I've talked about it too much, you know, whatever, like who, who wants to hear me talk about star Wars? And, and they were like, uh, okay. I think you really should though. It'd be really fun. And so yeah, I was like, they, fine, whatever. We'll talk <laughs> about star Wars. And so you had no uh, idea why they, they were pushing no, you to talk about star Wars. No, I did not. Um, and it was a truly strange, it was kind of a, you know, one of those moments you see on TV where people are surprised and, and you, you know, it's feel stupid and, and <laughs> it just felt, it's a very weird feeling to be surprised on television. Uh, I, I, with Mark Hamill with a lightsaber with like s- dry ice smoke <laughs> around him and weird lights. It was, it was strange, but delightful. I mean, he's a really cool guy. It did. I, I don't know if this occurred to you at all, but watching uh, Severance, I kept thinking about Star Wars with the hallways <laughs> and the scenes oh, where yeah. you guys are kind of prowling around the hallways <laughs> and sneaking. Right. And, you know, I kept imagining like, you know, someone's going to come around the corner with a, you know, lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if you, if that occurred to you at all making it, but. Well, I know Ben loves Star Trek and he heard about like making the original Star Trek series, they had like three pieces of hallway that they would just use over and over again in different configurations. And so he he was sort of thinking of that with that, but we had so much hallway and the hallway was surrounding the office set. So to get to the office where we shot, we did have to go through a maze of hallways that were always moving around in different configurations because we were shooting in there as well. And so no joke, 85% of the time I got lost trying to get to the set <laughs> because there were dead ends and it all looks exactly the same. It's all white. It was really 
I wonder if, crazy. if Ben was doing that just to fuck with you guys to like disorient you. And that's right. You know, He's going to release footage of us getting lost. <laughs> um, so finally, um, uh, I like to give my guests a chance to shout out comedy that's making them laugh right now. So what's the what's the last piece of comedy that that made you laugh really hard, whether it's a TV show or a movie or stand up or some, just anything that you've seen uh, that that really made you laugh recently? You know, it's really good right now is uh, uh, Abbott Elementary is really, really good. Totally. Yeah, that's really yeah, I really, really enjoy that show. Um, and yeah. Quinta is a uh, really smart, really funny uh, yeah, I'm person, really we can, talented. We can get her on this uh, podcast. Uh, oh yeah, point. you've got um, to. She's great. Yeah, she's really, really funny. Um, and that yeah, that's a great show and a great shout out, great recommendation. Yeah, um, trying to think of other funny stuff. I'm really excited to see After Party. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I've got I got to see that, and that's really, really fun. Oh, cool, um, cool. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. Um, oh, uh, MacGruber. The MacGruber show. Is, Fantastic. It's terrific. Talk <laughs> about watching something again. I'm, I'm going to have to go back and I That's just great. love it so much. Um, well, Adam, thank you so much for, for doing this. And um, as I said, you, I'm, I've become completely obsessed with Severance. I'm going to tell everyone that I... <laughs> I know. To I'm watch so it. glad. Um, I am so so uh, glad. And I, I think people are going to be pretty into it because it's, uh, it's, it's pretty addictive and and wild and different and all of those things. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you awesome. so much, man. Yeah. Um. Good luck with everything, and uh, I can't wait to see Party Down season three. Very excited. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll come back on for that. That would be awesome. All right. That was my conversation with Adam Scott. I am still very much looking forward to the big Party Down reunion and will hopefully have him back on the podcast when that comes out. The first season of Severance is streaming now on Apple TV+, and if you happen to be an Emmy voter, please consider Adam Scott. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.